Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Kevin Ovarteche, producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Dr. Ross McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Finally, the Gortney Institute undergraduate scholar, Cole McRae. Okay, so uh, this whole work from home stuff has been a big topic, of course, since COVID hit and everybody was working from home, it seemed like, in some capacity or another. Um, and uh, a lot of there's a lot of outcry of people can't find workers unless they're, you know, say they get some work from home time. And so a lot of things have evolved the industry. A lot of industries seem to be moving that direction of allowing work from home. Sounds like some recent studies show maybe they're not being as efficient when they're working in their underwear, even if they're on Zoom with a collared shirt on or something or a dress shirt. Uh, uh, so, Peter, what what's the stuff you've been looking into here lately? Yeah, so I, th this is something that's kind of been going around in general. A lot of businesses are starting to bring people back into offices. So, like, there's a big article right now about how Zoom is bringing off uh, their workers back into offices right now. <laughs> oh, is that and right? Of course, this it's is actually like, Zoom. There's an irony going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, with Zoom doing it. And so a lot of this comes from I, I think like workers are kind of upset by this. And a lot of the reason they're upset is during the pandemic, there were a lot of think pieces, I think, about how this is going to change the way the pandemic is going to change the way we work. Uh, and the logic wasn't terrible behind this. So I, I'm, I'm going to explain the defense of the work from home change uh, that seemed like it could have happened, the revolution that wasn't basically. And, you know, we can talk about why, it, you know, the evidence seems to indicate it's not working. And so... The idea during the pandemic was that there's this big thing called switching costs. And so it might be kind of difficult to get your workforce all set up online. And what you might have to, you know, set up things a little bit different, uh, supervision, streamline tasks differently, set up communication channels that didn't exist before, literal technology ad ad adoption, excuse me. All of these things cost money for a business. And so it could be the case, or it could have been the case that too expensive to switch in an environment where everybody else is just competing in person. Because if you have a competitive business that you know, you're know you fighting against and they continue to meet in person, you switch to online and adopt all these switching costs, suddenly you're behind the competition. And so the thought was in the pandemic, when we have this requirement basically that everybody take on the switching costs, maybe the equilibrium will shift forever. Maybe once we've paid the, the switching costs, we'll just stay uh, with this work mix. And for a while, this looked like it might be happening, uh, but now it seems like it's not. Uh, that Now, there's still some change that has happened. I, I'm not saying there, there's not like some work that's still being done from home that wasn't before. That is happening. But it's not a big work from home revolution. Uh, a lot of businesses, in other words, are bringing people back into the office. You know, Elon Musk at Tesla was pretty famous for doing this very quickly. But now it seems like a lot of major companies are following his lead. And so... The study came out with the National Bureau of Economic Research. This is still a working paper, so it's not published yet, but these are generally relatively high quality papers. 
It did a randomized control trial out of India. And so it's not the United States, but uh, I don't think there's any reason that it wouldn't generalize out of the United States. And the idea behind a randomized control trial is basically the experiment is set up such that people are sort of selected randomly rather than, you know, uh, on a specific way that might cause you to have biased results. Uh, that's the best way we can put it. And the study found uh, pretty shocking. It was a tech company in India and they found for the tech co company in India that if you started working from home randomly, and so if, if the, the company selected you to work from home, you would immediately have a 12% reduction in productivity day one. And then over the next you know few months, you would lose another 6% of productivity. Do you know how they measured productivity? Um, <laughs> I, I don't. It's a data entry thing. So I imagine they went from like cells or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So listener, sometimes that's measured in dollars. Sometimes it's measured in hours or number of projects done. But the idea is, of course, your worker comes, they put in a shift and you see how many um, gadgets are, are made. Uh, so whatever their output was. Um, you can look at uh, the dollars of output per hour of input or number of people. So there's different ways, but the, in general, it's the amount of output you get from a unit of input. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. And they, they also included in this measure accuracy. Uh, so if someone was inaccurate, that counted against them for productivity. So this was like a major, you know, basically on all margins that they could tell. And again, it's one type of business. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we could talk about that, but there was a fall. Uh, and that's like a business that would be, lend itself to right. working. Yeah. Like, yeah. You would, you would think so of a business where it would be surprising. easier to work from home. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, and it, it gets even worse from the work from home crowd. And so one of the easy responses might be, uh, and people love to say this, people love to say, well, working from home is not for everybody, but I, I agree. Not everybody's productive enough to work from home, but certain people, and of course I include myself in this, uh, <laughs> can, can manage it. And it's like, Okay. Well, let's look at what happens when instead the company allowed workers to self-select, oh. the productivity loss was <laughs> even larger, 27% uh, uh, productivity loss from the people who selected on average to work from home. And so it seems like it's even worse if you let people choose to work from home. And the, the study, you know, gives some like theories behind this, which I think are relatively accurate that the people who select working from home probably have more constraints that require them to be at home. And those constraints also distract them while they're, they're at home. Sure. Basically, the company starts to, you know, pay for you uh, to, you know, do whatever tasks you need to complete at home is the, the thought here. And so uh, this was kind of the result of the study. And I didn't find it particularly surprising. I've been bearish on work from home ever since it started. Mm -hmm. I was never particularly satisfied with the idea that like s switching to Zoom was the big barrier. But uh, I think we could talk about that. So. Uh, Anybody have any thoughts? Well, I thought it was interesting that uh, competition is forcing people back. I, I mean, I love that as an economist, a free market economist that, you know, well, why? Oh, it's nicer if this business, you know, allows uh, us to work from home and this one doesn't. But if they're not being as productive, then uh, a company that is bringing their workforce back or forcing them back, if you will, uh, is going to force the other ones to do it too. And so those findings are are interesting that there is indeed a lack of productivity um, and uh, not surprising to me either. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I've always been, but I feel like I'm old. 
and I am. Uh, yeah, and yeah. That's funny. You know, Peter's in his late twenties. I'm in my early fifties. So I'm I'm in that old group where okay, maybe I'm out of touch with, uh, well, with the and new regime, the new revolution. To, to be fair, Russ, for the internet age, I'm old too. I grew up on AOL. Is where I first started doing internet and like kids and computers. Right, uh, computers aren't really a big thing anymore for kids. Kids are using phones and tablets. And so, like in terms of technological age, I'm old too. So I I kind of. Uh, second guess and wondered, am I wrong about this? Like, is work from home maybe more productive for other people who, you know, can have more synchronous workflow between a phone and a tablet and a computer than I can? Because frankly, I find the whole thing to be obnoxious. I, I don't like working from home because it's like just logistically a nightmare for yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, so Justin, what do you think? That uh, I can work from home, even though other people can't, even though Russ and Peter can't, I can. Yeah, because I'm the one who showed up on time to the Zoom meeting. Um, yeah. uh, uh, I, I actually think it's it's pretty bad, the work from home stuff. Um, I, having worked in a sales office and um, a job where technically, you know, um, on paper, this is the kind of job where somebody would say there's no reason why anybody needs to be in the office, you know, you're calling your leads, you're pitching them. Um, what part of this do you need to be around other people on the phone at the same time? It actually seems like it might be a distraction. Um, I, having been a manager in a sales office like that, I can tell you that like you, it actually just makes a difference to be in a room with people who are all doing the same kind of thing that you're doing. Um, there is such a thing as like office culture in the sense that offices have um, distinct cultures, but also in the culture of it being an office and not being, you know, your kitchen or something like that. I think Peter's right when he talks about distractions and the people who want to work from home are people who have things that they need to do at home and those things are distracting. And I also think um, the other group of people that Peter might not have mentioned are people who actually uh, might not even think they need to work from home, but would like to work from home. And so are willing to rationalize working from home. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, Peter, of course, sees the good in all people, but I see the, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> I see the slacking in all people. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that's a good point. We should talk about like why it's not working. And so office culture, I think, is one. Uh, and here's like my my like way that I knew that this was never going to work, even though I did second guess myself, so I can't actually say it. But like, here's the test is like, all right, let's think about ha the housing market right now. Think about like a house in like a busy part of California or New York, how much that costs. I don't know, millions of dollars probably. Uh, and then move from a, a house to a, an office building uh, and like a big business that has a huge office building. And think of like what the rent expense per month on that building is. I don't know, but I would guess tens of thousands of dollars. It's not an uncommon number uh, for someone who has office space in a, a nice area, maybe even hundreds of thousands. I, I don't know. Like we're getting into territory of rich people that I don't even understand. Uh, I feel like the reverse of the what's a banana cost $3 or whatever that, that joke was. Uh, what's, what's a building cost? Uh, $10 million. I don't know. <laughs> um, but basically, like this is very expensive. Uh, it's super expensive to have an office building in a city. And so if businesses could, you know, get rid of the office building and just have people work in their own houses, you would think they would jump to do that. And if they don't, there must be some reason other than the cost of switching to Zoom, which never seemed that high to me. In fact, yeah. I don't think it was that high. There must be some efficiency gain of the big expensive building. Now, some of that might be kind of fraudulent efficiency gain, you know, buildings in Washington, D.C. What are those buildings doing while well, they're sitting next to politicians? Uh, but like, you know, you, you've got big cities everywhere. 
And so in economics, there's this idea of what's called team production. And so the idea behind team production is like, imagine you're uh, moving things, uh, you know, listeners, we probably all moved things before I've moved things before. And think about the time it takes to move uh, the contents of like an entire house or an entire apartment if you were by yourself. Think of how long that would take. Now, imagine there's someone who is like equally strong and fast as you, same age, you know, everything about you physically is the same and they join you. Uh, it's likely that you're not going to just double your productivity. You're going to more than double your productivity. In fact, it's certain. So like moving a couch is more than twice as fast with two people than it is with one person, even though you might have the same physical <laughs> characteristics. So there's this weird thing in economics where with team production, the sum is greater than the parts. And so a good question is, if you, if you move five boxes per hour by yourself, if your friend would have moved five boxes per hour by themselves, but together you move 15 boxes per hour, who was responsible for the five boxes per hour that you, neither of you would have gotten individually? Uh, in other words, if you would have done 15 as a team, but 10 if you worked individually, who uh, is responsible both in terms of who should get rewarded, uh, but also like who caused those five boxes? And the answer is literally neither individual. It's the team that's responsible. Like it's the unit of the team that has the responsibility for the extra productivity. And so how do we stop people from doing things like shirk, right? right. And so if we give people- Shirking is slacking off. Yes. Kind of the econ term for just goofing off or sla not doing your work. Basically. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And so pe people can slack. And it, let's say we cut those five, let's say you get paid $10 per box you move. Suddenly this is a moving company. And so each person gets you know their five boxes full paid, but then the last five boxes, they split the money. And you decide to be lazy and move a little bit more slow. Well, what happens? Well, if you're splitting the pay on those last five boxes, you get to enjoy all of the laziness, but you only lose half of the reward because you're splitting the boxes. And so there's an incentive to shirk. You're imposing your laziness on someone else's reward. And so the question for companies is, how can we stop this team production problem from happening? And the answer that companies come to is, we have managers. We have residual claimants. Uh, we have someone whose pay is basically dependent on those extra boxes being moved. And so if we have someone whose pay is basically, well, you get a dollar for every box that's moved after 10, then we'll pay. And then it's someone's responsibility to make sure the team is not slacking off or shirking, even if that's difficult. And so this in economics is classically called the team production problem. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here is the actual visual oversight the physical oversight of a manager is something that we have not yet replaced with technology yeah. and maybe we'll be able to but maybe never yeah and i i like what you said uh early on about uh prior i think this you didn't say this but prior to covid you were saying that if it would have been profitable to have people work from home they would have done it yeah uh, and so i mean everybody like you said uh knows the expense of these big office buildings and big structures and uh, if that could have been avoided, it, it would have already in a competitive market. So I, I think that's true. Well, this looks like a good spot for our break. When we come back, I want to explore a little bit of, uh, I think Thomas Sowell would be in this camp as uh, the one who comes to mind of tacit knowledge, kind of boring, mundane knowledge um, that we pick up when we're in the office compared to what's called like expert knowledge, like your actual knowledge for doing your particular job. And I, I think that plays a huge role in this team effort. And uh, we'll explore that a little bit further when we get back from break. We'll be back in just a bit. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right. 
but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. This spring, Ottawa University is organizing a PPE League competition of politics, philosophy, and economics. Students in this competition will compete leveraging the ideas of philosophy, politics, and economics in various events. If you're a professor or an advisor of college students and you're interested in your school competing in PPE League this spring, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. We have some great programming going on for high school students. We have an online microeconomics class. Yes, you can earn college credit for $200 by taking an online class. It's affordable, flexible, layered with support. Our new online micro is optimized for you. If you'd like to consider some events for your high school students or that class, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. All right, so we're back, and um, I couldn't help but think of this team building stuff in the term of uh, what is referred to as tacit knowledge. It's kind of knowledge that you can't explain, like uh, define my love for my wife. You know, how would you define that? It, it's just you know it. It's kind of there. Um, it's hard to put into words. It's hard to articulate. Um, the And I think that would apply to this uh, culture of the office, um, you know, define office culture at Ottawa University. Well, it, it's just there, right? There's kind of this collegiality and sometimes we go out for drinks after work and well, whatever, you know, it, um, it's something that's hard to define. And and what, uh, if I remember right, Thomas Sowell said something along the lines of, you know, maybe 90% of the knowledge that's out there is this type of knowledge. And so we often run too quickly to the experts who have expert knowledge in a particular thing. And so Hayek's knowledge problem is that there is no expert that could possibly plan the economy uh, because it's so important with this tacit knowledge, knowledge of time and place of what's going on in Ottawa, let's say the city of Ottawa, um, having some of that knowledge that just is there um, actually helps Ottawa be a good place to live and uh, uh, a good place for the university to be in and for students to come in. So um, so I thought that was important with this idea of why should I have to go to the office, right? And so people are dragging their heels and a lot of times maybe because, yeah, they like freedom of their time to do it. Um, related to that, I think, is the pay. So how is the market going to respond if this data uh, is true um, or the truth of some sort that uh, people need to get back to the office to be productive. Um, how is the market going to respond to employees that say, I'm not going to go work for you if I can't work from home three days a week? I'll, I'll come in Tuesdays and Thursdays and the employer says, sorry, five days a week is the job. Well, uh, you know, the pay, the market pay for somebody with those skills, let's just say to pull a number out of the air was 70000 it might be that um, the employer who is requiring people to come back to work is going to share some of those benefits of the increased productivity through higher pay. So in order to induce those people to come back, if the market rate is 70 for kind of this flip-flop work of home and office, the full-time office work might have to say, well, I'll pay you 80, I'll pay you 85, I'll pay you 90, you know, whatever the number is. 
um, they might have to compensate. So it's called a compensating wage differential for kind of the hassle or the cost that is borne by the employee for having to go back to the office now that there's many of these other alternatives out there of, of the work from home. So Justin, um, you wanted to bring Hayek. I, meant, I mentioned Hayek there. I think you wanted to take things a different direction. What were you thinking with uh, some of Hayek's work? Yeah, so I think to understand what I what I want to say about Hayek here, I think I want to reiterate a little bit of what Peter said at the beginning about why the work from home move was made um, kind of, uh, you know, economy wide um, during COVID. And I think the story that got told was something like, when we started um, aggregating people in offices, it was because the cost of information, um, the cost of transfer information was pretty high. And with the rise of the internet, um, we are able to talk to each other instantly. We don't need to be in close quarters to communicate um, via text or whatever. Uh, you know, being across the, the country is just like uh, being across the hallway. And since that's the case, boy, all these office buildings that Peter pointed out are pretty costly. This seems like an expense that we can get rid of uh, for a bunch of businesses, right? Uh, because on paper, if we look at what these individuals are doing, um, it doesn't seem like in those job requirements that we're putting down, we have like, you know, kibbutzing with Karen by the cooler or whatever. Um, what you need to do is uh, make your sales and give your information to your manager, et cetera. So one of the things that Hayek points out is that there are a lot of institutions in society and norms in society and, you know, uh, whether you want to call an institution or norm or whatever, but there's a lot of things that we do. Um, and these things are things that we do, and we might not not know exactly why we do them, or we might think we do them for reasons other than um, the reason that they're actually done. And one of the thing that Hayek point, one of the things that Hayek pointed out is a lot of institutions contain a kind of function that we are not aware of. Um, and these aren't functions that were explicitly designed by anybody. Mm -hmm. um, these are functions that arose um, because of the way we are acting and because they uh, enable efficiency, even though we might not even understand how they do it. And so even though we might not think on paper, like we're not going to lose any efficiency if everybody just does these individual tasks at home. It turns out that even though we couldn't have foreseen this, thinking that economy-wide we could all just do all these tasks at home, um, it turns out, you know, if Peter's paper that he's quoting is correct, that, oh my gosh, we actually are losing a lot of efficiency um, when we try to do all these things. And that might not have been able to be foreseen, right? This right. is exactly the reason why we want um, the market to be able to um, take these uh, risks and then correct them, right? So there are actually industries where it seems like people work from home a lot better. A lot of these industries had those people working from home before mm -hmm. the uh, the pandemic, right? Right. Um, now, it, it actually was also kind of a function of uh, there was some competitive competition between firms in industries that drove the work from home thing, right? Um, 
uh, it started to be uh, something that was uh, advantageous to offer. But mm -hmm. as firms also realized that it was cutting into profits, then that uh, that enabled the market to uh, correct on this, right? Um, so I, I have a bunch of friends that work like one of them's a like a headhunter. You know, they find people mm -hmm. for other firms and they they work from home, um, and that seems to be the norm in that industry. It seems also to have been the norm in the industry before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so this also, I think, kind of connects to a worry that a lot of people had about um, what were called MOOCs at the time, which is like massively enrolled online classes. And I don't know what the second O stands for because those stand for <laughs> enrolled. Um, but the, the worry was, look, since teaching is just transmitting information to students, um, and we can transmit information over the web. Why not just have everybody listen to the lectures on at Harvard that we can just put online and everybody can get a Harvard education for the cost of a nickel? Um, and there we go. Uh, everybody will be lectured by the best uh, lecturers in America. And it turns out that um, it's not actually the way that a lot of people want to experience college. Now, there are uh, different arguments about whether or not what people want out of college is actually an education or whatever. <laughs> um, but the point is that this fear that or this worry that this one module was going to take over everything, that turned out not to be the case. Even though it seemed like from what we knew about it beforehand, a lot of people thought there's no reason why this shouldn't be the case. And that might be one of the reasons why um, it's so useful to uh, have a marketplace where firms can fail. Uh, because if we want to run these experiments, we want to make sure that if they don't work out, um, that there's a correction mechanism. Yeah, one of the great ironies too. I, I so I, Justin, you're right. I think it's kind of industry dependent. Is maybe the way we could put it. And I will concede. I think some industries will be more work from home than they used to be after COVID. I mean, it just makes sense. The switching costs have been paid, and so the people who are on the bubble, who are right on the margin, margin. Yeah. Uh, are going to make that change. But I think it's just going to be a relatively small number when when all is said and done uh, compared to what people expected. And I think at least one of the reasons for it is uh, those people who most want to work from home are probably in those industries where it is least good for them to work at home. <laughs> uh, as Justin pointed out before, like some people who select into working from home uh, probably want to work from home uh, maybe so uh, just for saying, seeing the bad in people, maybe so they could slack off, right? Like imagine an industry where the job really stinks and wouldn't it be nice if you got to do a lot less of your work? And so what industries are going to select into working from home where you can do a lot less work uh, in the industry that stinks? And then uh, we, we have to think about, well, in that industry where the work is really bad, how do we convince people to work? You know, sometimes it's like a really ruthless boss who like looks over your shoulder and is really on you. And that does happen. But actually, a lot of times it takes like a much nicer form, right? Sometimes in those places where it's like a really tough work environment, it's not very enjoyable. Uh, the boss, the manager, which, you know, relates to the team production problem earlier, the manager who succeeds the most is the one who like makes work kind of like an enjoyable living place, uh, a second place for the employees and like gives them something to strive for, gives them something to care about. They want their workplace to succeed because they care about their manager. They care about their coworkers and all that. And so they sit at their desk and if they do nothing, they feel bad about it. It's not so much that the manager's 
pop, popping their head in the cuba goal mm, it's that like yeah. everyone has sort of like this shared community Betraying. and they don't, they don't want to betray the community by being like the lazy bum who doesn't do anything and you know screws everybody over gives them more work and that sort of thing i don't think we have any close replication for uh in the virtual space there's just not like if you sit in a zoom room all day with your camera on it just doesn't do the same thing everybody minimizes the browser and go goes and does whatever they want right <laughs> uh and it's like no, it's not like you staring at other people's faces on a computer is going to make you feel some deep bond with them it just doesn't work that way yeah uh so at least a lot of what's happening i think justin's right like is like meat space dynamics that we haven't replicated now maybe mark zuckerberg metaverse happens someday and like we all log onto our computer with our virtual headset and then we're running around in a real fake office building with all the people in the same spot and can talk to each other and go to the water cooler and all that. Maybe uh, I'm not totally averse to that being possible. I, do, I don't think I want that to happen, but it could be possible. Uh, and I certainly think we will be able to do more work from home as time goes on and we have continual improvements in technology. Uh, but it's the, the funny thing is the more we have improvements in communication technology and we have working from home, actually the larger the gains will be for the people who are working in an office, right? Because there's diminishing marginal returns to working in an office. And so I don't think it'll ever go completely away. I think there's something about like being around people uh, that motivates people to do better, even in like a non-hall monitor way. So I think uh, building a little bit on Justin's uh, with work coverage, I think these friendships that we create at work because we're in the same physical space, as opposed to the one hour meeting on Zoom, like you're saying, staring at some faces, uh, can also help cover work that may not be covered otherwise when uncertainty arises. So something changes at mm. the workplace. And, uh, you know, because Peter and I have gone out and had a beer, or we talk about our kids or whatever, uh, then I don't feel as inhibited about saying, uh, Peter, I'm in a jam. Uh, could you cover for me? C could you cover this person or make this call or, you know, whatever it is. And so I think those friendships become deeper, of course, when we're in our face-to-face -face environment, which is our most complex way to communicate with people and allows the, that to be a buffer for the uncertainty that the firm faces uh, day in and day out. And that would be increases in productivity as opposed to something getting kicked the can down the road, which decreases productivity because those friendships don't exist. Yeah. One thing that I was thinking of is like how maybe like an old curmudgeon might say like, this is just a logical progression of what's happened in the last 30 years. You guys started dressing at work like you were at home. Nobody's wearing suits anymore. Now you're, uh, you know, now you're just working at home. And then I was thinking like, well, I remember my first job because I was working in an office and my roommate uh, was, we were both in Silicon Valley and he was working at Google and I was working at this startup and I had to wear a suit every day and he didn't. Uh, but one thing that Google did during those days is they would uh, offer you free food, gym, whatever. So he would go to work uh, dressed in jeans or whatever. But one thing Google did was they like to make sure that employees stayed at work for as long as possible unless they were asleep. And even and, then they allowed them to sleep. I think on some of the videos I've shown students on management and otherwise with the Googleplex, uh, they had sleeping pods they could go into. Um, so it's pretty amazing those benefits. And I think you're right. If the that might be another move, instead of increasing your pay to come work for my company, I have amenities that are nicer to make you want to be at work. Yeah, the point, uh, my point is like, they weren't doing this like just to be nice. They were doing right. this because they agreed with what you said earlier, Russ, about, you know, they want you to live 
at work because they think that it will make, you know, you have these bonds with your coworkers and all of these people are doing software stuff that by definition would have fit into what we had said earlier about there being no reason why you could have done this at home, right? And yet Google, which at the time was like the fastest growing company, you know, this is like 2007. This isn't mm-hmm. like the heyday of Google's the best place to work in America and it's going to take over the world or whatever. Right. And yet Google was paying these people who ostensibly could have done this at home, like, and they were put, putting out vast amount of resources to keep these people at work all the time. Um, they were clearly doing it for a reason. Yeah. 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 I, when I show that video in class and I encourage you listeners to, to do that, we'll try to put a link in the show notes, but it is pretty amazing. I mean, it is way, way, way over the top, like sushi and massages and uh, car rental. And Hey, you don't have time to do your laundry at home, bring it to work. And so they'd have laundry service at work. I mean, it is just over the top, just like Iowa university. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh I couldn't help but think, is this a function of abundance that they're trying to share that it wasn't completely, you know, because it was profitable to do so? It is so far over the top with Google that I kind of thought they probably went beyond what was profitable in terms of amenities. I mean, it is ridiculous the amount of uh, perks that the employees had, but obviously they're still around and we all still use them and they're very profitable. So, yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately, and I I don't know where we're at with time, but this might be kind of like my wrap up thought is that uh, this is uh, whether or not work from home makes sense is going to depend on the industry and, and the time and the technology. Like it, it's uh, it's depends on the historical details. It's an empirical question, a question that like depends on what the evidence is. It's not like work from home is better and working from away is better. Like Justin pointed out, some industries, it seems like working from home is fine. Like the headhunter industry, that's a great example. Some industries being in the office is really important. Uh what I would caution, I, I think a, a good caution is like, uh, at least if you're in the realm of making predictions and, you know, putting any money on anything, I'd caution you to, uh, in cases with like the pandemic, where it seems like, oh, this is the time where there's going to be a major change. Uh, it's the old Chesterton's fence sort of thinking that like, if something's there, it's probably there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Chesterton's fence is sometimes used as an argument for don't remove the fence, but at least it can uh, be used as an argument for uh, if you take the fence down, someone else might put it back up. I think that's what we saw is during the pandemic, uh, it made sense to knock the fence down because all the laws basically forced people to, you know, not be meet in person. Uh, and now that we can meet in person again, a lot of the companies are rebuilding the fence because it turns out like the fence kept people in the office and uh, you need that to be productive or something like that. Yeah. I might uh, wrap up with the thought of not the government. We haven't talked about the government and and I could see, oh, it would be great if the government had a law that X percent of the employees have to be work from home or maybe all employees, right? So a, maybe a all lot employees, of government employees work from home. What is that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, that that would be detrimental. And, and just to kind of step back and say, well, how does the market correct for this? It's the way I just said, so that if mm-hmm. if they are forcing you to come and that means you have a commute time and blah, blah, blah they will be forced to pay higher pay and people will either choose the the work from home style or more pay and the go into the office style and and let the market decide that stuff we don't need the the government um coming in to try to mandate that type of thing so one quick thing to say in addition to what peter said about like this being an empirical question i think he's right um and i think this should give pause to anybody who thinks 
you know, you always see things mm. coming out of like the WEF or whatever saying like, this is what the future of work is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And Peter's right that this is an empirical question. And he said, this is going to depend on the evidence. And he's right about that too. But I just want to be clear, the evidence that it's going to depend on isn't evidence that we can even in principle have right now. Right. I think what Peter meant about that is like, it's going to depend on what actually happens, not on evidence that we can gather now. Yes. We're going to have yeah. to wait and see. Part of the human action and the evolving process of the market. So, all right. Well, that looks like a good place to wrap. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. Uh, if you like what you heard and um, want to share it with some people, uh, forward it along to people via your social media. Five-star rating helps uh, other people find us. And so we hope you do that too. Other than that, be fruitful, multiply. Thanks.